Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Anyway, we have lots of guests and people to meet and we start off as usual at this stage on a Tuesday and I am so grateful to him. I'm joined again by the Head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Moyna. Hello, Paul. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Well, I'll tell you, you're making the news, you're splashing the headlines in the newspapers at the weekend. I just want to just start with that article in the Sunday Independent by Neve Horan, where it says longer lockdown not warranted. That's the headline. And on Friday, of course, we know the Taoiseach set out the roadmap, the five phases uh, taking us through into August. Do you think that should be re-looked at again or is that a good plan? I think, first of all, the plan, uh, I think it helped in the sense that it gives some clarity. And I think people were desperately looking for that in terms of the time frame and when things were going to become, you know, some sense of normality again. I guess one of the things I was probably a little bit disappointed with, Jerry, was that I didn't sense sort of an urgency there in terms of trying to exit this lockdown. And, and it's a difficult discussion to have because... I think a lot of people think when you start talking about exiting lockdown, you know, you're putting more people at risk and potentially more people obviously getting the virus and, you know, more deaths. I look upon it the other way, Jerry. I think we need to get to a stage where we begin to look how we get out of lockdown as quickly as possible because currently not only are we suffering from COVID-related, you know, healthcare problems, but even non-COVID-related, you've obviously heard anecdotal um, stories in terms of, you know, people not accessing whether it be for cancer care or whatever. So there are big problems accruing there. So what had actually happened was, just to give you a little bit of background, um, so as an immunologist, I would have expected lockdown to have a really, really strong effect. And I was probably a little bit disappointed in terms of how much of an effect uh, we saw. And I began to look at things, and you know, we, have, we heard various things from politicians and public health, basically getting concerned about the public being complacent. But I think it's more complicated than that. So I started to look at some of the studies and analysis that was done. And there was one analysis performed by a mathematician who looked at over 20 countries and looked at the rate of decrease of infection. And they almost superimposed on each other, irrespective of whether they had imposed uh, lockdown or not. And then when you look at the effect of lockdown on deaths, for example, and in terms of getting that or value down that everybody hears about now in terms of getting that down to one most for most countries and including Ireland, most of that is achieved actually by the social distancing or was achieved before actually lockdown would come into effect. And then there was a paper published, really good paper published uh, three or four days ago, and they looked back at Wuhan and Shanghai, which was sort of the epicenter of where all of this started. 
And when they looked at the studies, they concluded that actually social distancing alone, obviously with all the uh, hygiene etiquette and the testing and tracing, would probably have been enough to, to contain the virus. So I think lockdown does play a role, but probably not as much as we think. And I think then that sort of prompts the discussion, does that justify in terms of, you know, going for total lockdown and closing off the entire economy? So I would be very interested in terms of trying to exit lockdown as quickly as possible, but importantly, in a safe way. Because, again, people are worried about this in terms of numbers going up. And the only way we can exit in a safe way is to get our testing and tracing. And I've spoken about that quite a bit now in terms of the absolute importance in terms of getting our testing and tracing working to the maximum. And at the moment, I don't think it is. And I have concerns about that. So I wouldn't be advocating exiting lockdown without our testing and tracing. But if our testing and tracing is up and it's performing a very high standard, I think we're in a good position then to exit lockdown. And I think that's where a lot of the priority should be placed. So in a way, do you feel that perhaps the health people and the government really erred very far on the side of caution? I I, I can understand why they made the decision, Jerry. So if you put yourself in their shoes, the last thing, you know, and and it's obviously in their minds in terms of, are we going to make a decision here in terms of lifting lockdown? We're going to see increased numbers and increased deaths. Uh, So I can see why they made that decision. And it's sort of like a precautionary principle in terms of not doing any harm. But the reality is lockdown has damaging effects. It has enormous effects economically. And long term, that's going to affect even our healthcare system in terms of economically, because it's going to plunge us into recession, possibly uh, depression. So it's going to have indirect effects on health, but even in terms of socially, mental health uh, problems, and even in terms of Like if you look at excess debt rates, there are probably debts happening at the moment which are beyond even COVID related and beyond what we'd normally see for this time of year. So some of those debts, I think, are related to maybe not accessing healthcare. So it's not a situation where we'll do lockdown, we won't do any harm. I think lockdown, there is an equation there to look at and you need to look at the advantages and the disadvantages and the pros and cons. And I would like to see probably a little bit more from NFET, even in terms of the phased approach that they they propose. Because, you know, a number of people have asked me over the last few days since it was announced, for example, to go phase one, phase two, phase three. And again, it has been the public health and politicians have basically said that, listen, if we don't meet certain benchmarks, we could go back a phase. Mm. But nobody knows what those benchmarks are. And I think clarity, again, clarity and giving public the information so as they know what's going to determine whether we go from phase one to phase two and sometimes you get this sense if that's not communicated clearly well what actually has been used what what is their sense of the metrics that they're going to use so i think we should be and you know as much information should be given to the public uh, as possible Let's move on to uh, the search for uh, drugs to deal with this and secondly, uh, the vaccine that everybody hopes will arrive someday. Oxford University in the UK, the Jenner Institute there, I'm sure you're familiar with this, in association with AstraZeneca, uh, they're actually already preparing to produce a prototype vaccine, even though they're not 100% sure it will be effective, Paul. 
Yeah, and they're not the only ones. So there's an organisation, uh, CEPI, so it's a global alliance. It actually was set up by uh, Bill Gates, who's one of the co-founders. So it's sort of a global alliance involving a number of uh, governments, a number of uh, potential manufacturers, uh, funding agencies. And the approach that they've taken is they've identified a number of lead vaccines that they will put through trials. And even in the knowledge that there's going to be a high attrition rate and not all of them are going to actually work out They've made the decision that, for example, Oxford, they've proposed that if the vaccine were to work out, it could be ready in September, October, which most people would say is very, very optimistic. But again, that's what they've said, and they've got experience in the field. But the approach is that if, for example, we arrive with a vaccine ready to go in September, October, then we have to manufacture, because basically everybody in the world would be looking for this. So the approach that they've taken is for a number of the vaccines, They've set up manufacturing plants and started manufacturing a number of these vaccines, knowing that some of them, most of them, maybe possibly all of them, will not work. But the reality is if one or more of them were to work, at least you'd be in a position in September, for example, in the case of the Oxford uh, project, you would have lots of vaccines ready to go in September, October. So they're just taking that hit because there is such a demand and it's trying to reduce the time between knowing the vaccine work works and having enough to ready to 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 uh, give out it was interesting to hear about the oxford one in particular where in in a strange sort of way you you'd understand this the lockdown is in a way militating against the trials yeah so in terms of um and, and it's not only actually the vaccine it's even with the antivirals because there was an antiviral trial uh, performed um with this drug called remdesivir, and there were a number of trials done around the world. There was one performed actually in China. Now, that was shortened, and the reason why it was shortened was because the number of individual positive cases was greatly, greatly reduced, so they didn't have enough um, you know, positive cases to do the trial. So for all of these studies, we're going to end up in a situation, actually, when we're quite successful in terms of suppressing numbers. It'll be difficult enough to do the trial. The vaccine, Jerry, is a little bit different, you can begin to look at its efficacy or its effectiveness by even administering it and you can begin to look at, for example, the generation of antibodies against that to know that your immune system has uh, recognised the vaccine and has generated antibodies against it. It's impossible really to do studies, you know, in humans where you give the humour, like you wouldn't give somebody the coronavirus. Um, that has been done in animal models and again, the results there are promising. But it does, the fact that we're trying to speed up everything and condense it into such such a short time frame, it certainly does pose challenges. I watched Panorama last night on BBC, and at the very end, after, you know, watching it for half an hour, the, the conclusion was there'll be no silver bullet here for some time, which, you know, flies in the face of all that's going on at the minute. How do we marry both? So I think, first of all, there's, there's two main approaches. One are antivirals. So they are trying to do, and a lot of the work there is trying to repurpose drugs, so drugs that have already been licensed, where we already know in terms of that they're given to humans, maybe for other conditions. The reason why that approach has been taken is because a lot of the toxicology is done, so it shortens the number of trials you would have to do to get it uh, licensed and into human use. But there's no guarantees that they will work. Um, In terms of the vaccine, again, there's no guarantees the vaccine will work for a number of reasons. And one is even in terms of if you generate immunity, how long is that immunity generated for? So I think when the government and NFET and when they look at Ireland, I think as part of any strategy, and this is certainly something I would like to see, 
And a lot of the strategy is based around hopefully a vaccine coming within the next year. But I think you have to plan worst case scenario. And worst case scenario, let's say none of the antivirals work. That was a, the results of one of the antiviral trials came out in the US that suggested some efficacy, not very strong, but some effectiveness. But I think we have to plan for worst case scenario in terms of if we don't get a vaccine and we don't get antivirals, we have to come up with some other strategy, but a strategy that would allow us to get back to normal living. And it comes back to that point I made at the beginning in terms of putting the structures in place around, especially around the testing to allow us to get out out of lockdown and begin to get back to more normal living. So basically your message today is uh, we need to get more information, uh, receive more information on the different stages and, and, you know, what might throw it back a little, number one. Secondly, lots of work going on around the world in, in many facets, vaccine, antiviral drugs, etc. And the other thing, Paul, just to, to conclude today is that you're saying really that this is going to be with us, whether or not we find solutions to give to people who have it or to prevent it happening, and that we can't really have another lockdown. Is that what I'm reading from what you're saying? I think what will happen, Jerry, is in terms of, so first of all, in terms of information, I'm, I'm a big supporter in terms of explaining to people why you're making certain decisions. And if we're talking about going from phase one to phase five, with the possibility of some of those phases being delayed, we need to know mm. what metrics of the decision-making process around that. And I think, you know, they should be comfortable sharing that with the public, because I think sometimes even with very difficult decisions, and it's not always decisions we may agree with, but at least if we know the reasons for those, I think, you know, we're more prepared uh, to to accept them. I I would have hoped, Jerry, certainly in terms of vaccines, I would have hoped in terms of uh, at least one of the vaccines working. So I wouldn't be pessimistic in in that sense. But I always think you need to plan for the worst case scenario. And then if something, a vaccine comes along, that's absolutely brilliant. But if it doesn't come along, you know, at least you have that strategy and that backup plan. Interesting food for thought there, Paul, for sure. And I, again, I say thank you so much for bringing us a brilliant analysis of the up-to-date situation all round each Tuesday on the show. Thank you for joining me again. No problem, Jerry. More than welcome. Anytime. Take care. Professor Paul Moyna there, Head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.